Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Drive to deep center field. Going back, Hernandez at the track, right to the wall. Gone! Elvis Andrews! And 29 other MLB clubs. High drive, deep left field. Aminio left the building. Guerrero lifts one to left field and gone! Oh, Tani, that was a moonshot out there in the right center. Alonzo defends his title, the 2021 Derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe from OPS Plus to juiced balls to game-changing moments. We have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Oh, we are live from the field. I mean, right next to us is greatness. We got the great Alan Bernstein along with Scott Emerson, one of the top pitching coaches in all of baseball. And this is what you get when you're live from the field, you get greatness all around you as we're ready for a little A's cast live. It's a four-game set between the Athletics and the Yankees. And the bottom line, Cody, it's do or die time. Uh, it's a big series. What you got? Uh, I, to say this is a, uh, well, let's throw out the old football expression. Is this a must-win series? It's a big boy pad game if you want to go football. Is this a? Uh, I don't want to throw. Is this? A, is this a do or die game? But this might be a do or die series if you want to throw out the old football or sports cliches. How many games left? Uh, thirty-five. There's thirty-five games left, and if you do not play well in these next four games, good luck to you, because Paul Hembakides Hembo from ESPN, our buddy, who. You see him on the morning show on ESPN Get Up. You hear him on ESPN Radio on the Mike Greenberg show. He's going to tell you the Red Sox are, he thinks they're going to die. He thinks they're going to fall apart. Okay, I get it. For the A's, for me, this is all about them. It's all about inside this clubhouse. What are they going to do? Here you have the New York Yankees for four games. The New York Yankees have won how many games in a row? 11, their longest winning streak since 1985. Donnie Baseball was on that team. Shut up, really? Ricky Henderson was on that team. Is it really that long? Yeah, that's when Sandy Alderson traded Ricky to the Yankees. Uh, remember for a couple guys he saw in Baseball America? That, that is story. actually fact. If you listen to this program, uh, Sandy Alderson actually admitted that he used the publication Baseball America to make trades because the A's didn't have a whole lot of scouts. 
Uh, do you know how much the Yankees have outscored their opponents during this streak? Uh, I don't know off the top of my head, but I'm sure it's a lot because I know what the starters, opposing starters' ERA is. Uh, 60 to 27. That's pretty good. The opposing starters' ERA during this winning streak is 7.09. Do you remember the last time the New York Yankees won 12 games in a row? I'm looking at the great Alan Bernstein, who literally was not – I don't even think his parents were married at the time. The last time the Yankees won 12 consecutive games, 1961, they won 13 in a row. You might have heard of some of the guys on the team. Uh, Mickey Mantle, you heard of him? He was a nice little player. Uh, Yogi Berra, Roger Maris. It's not over till it's over. That's how long ago they've been this hot. Why not? My right? dad My dad was born in 1961. He's, he really? si- he's 60. <laughs> That's how long. By the way, the Yankees have not fared well in Oakland, though. This is where I like to take you to the, you know, let's be glass half full. The Yankees have lost 21 of their last 28 games in Oakland, dating back to the magical year of 2012. I would say 2012 because it's 21 of 28, so, yeah, that makes sense. Because if you're an A's fan, you remember in 2012, it was June 2nd that the A's turned everything around. That's when the A's had the best record in baseball from June 2nd on to chasing down the Rangers. And there, I want to say it was mid to late June where the A's swept the Yankees. And really, the season changed. So... The Yankees have lost 21 of their last 28 games in Oakland dating back to July 2012. Here we go. This is it. Like custard last stand. I mean, this is where the the A's really cuz if if you're not going to fare well in this series, I don't know where you go from here. I'm just really I'm I'm impressed by the historical reference of custard, but you're right. During the 11 game winning streak also opponent starters Against the Yankees. Do you so, remember the Alamo? Yes. Okay, so I'm I, I'm going to go historical on you. You are. Uh, opponent starters against the Yankees during this 11-game winning streak. They're only averaging four or two-thirds innings pitched. Remember, the ERA 7.09. Since getting Joey Gallo and Anthony Rizzo, since they joined the lineup, the Yankees are 21-4. and four. Now, remember, Rizzo was out with the COVID IL, but Gallo's not really hitting. Gallo still, hasn't done anything for the Yankees, by the way. That's, well, do you know who's mashing for them right now? That'd be, uh, that'd be one Mike... Giancarlo Stanton. Uh, DJ LeMayhew. I mean, all the guys are hitting, really. But, yeah. I mean, Stanton's been on a roll lately. Do you know what Aaron Boone calls their outfield when they have Gallo, Stanton, and Judge in the outfield? The, nope. uh, they're, like the, the, they're like the 1986 Boston Celtics backcourt. He calls, them, he calls it the jumbo package because of how big they are. I mean, I, mean, I mean, if you think about it, when you think of Parrish, McHale, and Bird, that's what these guys are like. When you think of that, it's the biggest outfield you've ever seen. Oh, it's not, it's not even close. I mean, Aaron Judge is the – I think I saw – I think Buster only said that he's the tallest – historically, he's the tallest position player in the history of baseball. So he's 6'9", and then you throw in what's Gallo, 6'7"? Six, six, I think he's 6'5". All right, I might be overplaying that. But, uh, and then <laughs> he's still tall. What's John Carlo? Around Don't call six, me Michael. I think he's 6'6". Six, six. They're a backcourt, for God's sake. Yeah, they, they could go play in the NBA. I mean, they well, I mean, they'd outscore anybody. Any, maybe besides Shohei Otani, they might outscore any uh, 
any any team in here for they want to play a three and three tournament. You know who the answer is today? Who was drafted by the Yankees with the with the sixteenth uh, pick overall? Uh, that'd be James Caprillion. Oh, they're going to throw out Brian Taylor, but Cap is the guy. Like today, Cap thrives on the moment. Like I wish we could talk to him, but obviously you're not going to go talk to the starter on day game. But wouldn't you want to talk to him today? Like this is, you know, he's already faced the Yankees. He understands this, but really, for him, today's the day, right? Today's the day. This is the team that drafted you. They traded you. You were hurt. You, you, you've worked your life to get back to this moment. This is the biggest moment of James's career. Cap's career. This is the biggest moment of his career. His team needs him. His organization needs him to go out and have a big day today. And he's pitched once already this year against the Yankees at Yankee Stadium. He pitched well. I think I have the stats for you. Uh, he pitched on June 18th versus Yankees. Five and two-thirds, three runs, seven strikeouts. Now, the guy that he's going up against, James Jameson Tyone, who's pitched very well since July 18th, he's 4-0 with a 199 ERA. He, they're getting the guy they thought they'd be getting when they traded for him. There is USFL legend, the great Vince Catroni. Hey, USFL's coming back, by the way. By the way, can he can, can he stop by and talk about Herschel Walker, for God's sakes, and Donald Trump? Uh, he's uh, got great stories. I mean, Herschel Walker's running for Senate, I think, in Georgia. He's Correct. A, he's running for office. He's running for office in Georgia. We're going full circle now. Herschel Walker's career. Vinny, you have to come on and talk about that. By the way, at some point. Yeah, the book. By the way, I can't remember who was it. A Turnbow or somebody did the book on the USFL. It's fascinating. I've read a little bit of it. What you? I, I mean, you were a little kid at the time. Uh, I just remember Steve Young played in the USFL. Uh, and Jim, they, and Jim Kelly. And they gave him like a bazillion dollars, and they owed him, and he sued the whole thing. Yeah. Um, when you think about the A's, though, Cody, the A's have scored 27 runs the last 10 games. What are we talking about here? Uh, 27 runs over 10 games, that's uh, 2.7 per game. That's not going to get it done. Unless you're nah, you're winning every game 2-1 or you're shutting everybody out. Not going to happen. They got to score. Caps got to pitch well, and they got to score. You want to go to Hembo here? The great Paul Hembikides, if you watch the morning show on ESPN Get Up, he is a part of that program. He's a personality. You hear him on ESPN Radio. And for us, other than A's cast, the number one podcast in baseball is what? Baseball Tonight with Buster Olney, who uh, we're going to talk to in person on Saturday. Live? We're going to have Buster live? Buster, we're going to be Buster in person. Now Buster's going to have to put a face to our names. Oh, I love it. Here is Hembo. Paul Hembikidi is from ESPN. Hembo, how are you? I hear you're cooking ribs. It's just, it warms my heart. As we're doing this, there are ribs on the actual smoker. As we speak, I got to work from home today. So the ribs went on at about 10 a.m. Um, so I just did a little changeover from, you know, the, the low heat to now th tossing those puppies in with all the tin foil. And I'm going to follow your methodology, not to over smoke them at the end. Like, you know, maybe, maybe 15, 10 or 15 minutes with the sauce rather than an hour hoping those puppies will just fall right off the bone. Does your wife truly appreciate what a great American and what a great human being you are? Uh, definitely not. Um, the, <laughs> like, she tolerates the, the ribs that I pour my you know, blood, sweat, and tears, heart, and soul into, which is uh, honestly something of an atrocity. She's also a fan of the New York Giants and the New York Yankees. So mm. I'm, like, I've, like, people ask me, like, 
what do you like so much about her? And obviously those are the things that don't come up. So, I mean, you know, if you do like the pros and cons on the yellow pad with like, you know, right and left, there are definitely more pros, but if, if she was a rib eating Philly loving, you know, person like myself, um, we'd be in even better shape. So we got the Yankees for four games coming up here. Um, I hate the Yankees. Now <laughs> I I've made it. Now the Astro things become personal. So mm-hmm. the Astros to me, have replaced the Yankee in my hatred. They've been bumped down. The Astros are the devil, right? Like I, right. but the Yankees, I just can't stand them. Um, the fact that you got to be around it, you got to talk about it 24 seven being a Philly guy. Yeah. It's got to be miserable. Very much so because the Yankees fans went in a two week span from chanting fire Booney to calling all the talk shows in the city asking how many championships they're going to win now that they traded for Joey Gallo. So like the idea of bouncing from there to there in the span of two weeks after having a trade, you know, decent trade deadline and a couple of good weeks in, in, in August is sort of puzzling to me. I keep telling all those guys, like, let's not use this stretch of three weeks as your baseline for what to expect from this team. We have four months of data that say it's a one dimensional lineup, a fairly thin pitching staff and, uh, a team that has a very difficult time generating runs anytime they can't pop the ball out of the ballpark. So let's not ten our chickens before they hatch. They've, they've played well, um, largely because of a soft schedule, because they're not beating opponents by a lot. Like, they're not blowing anybody out. So, I mean, right now, like, I think the A's and the Yankees, despite the massive payroll disparity, are actually fairly even teams. Like, there's obviously you know, there are some obvious flaws with each. But if we get a scenario in which, you know, there's a play-in game either out there out west or here, you know, in, um, in the Bronx, to me, that's a coin flip. Like, that's based upon what I see right now. These are teams, I think, sort of on, on parallel tracks, and it'll be finding the, you know, margin, finding some, you know, some value in the margins that will likely determine where we net out over the last, you know, month and a half. Well, you're making me feel better because the tracks the A's have been on lately, I'm not really happy about those tracks. Well, he, well here, here's, here's what I think should make you feel better, all right? Your bullpen's better than it's been. And you've also run up against some teams that just have some voodoo magic. Like the Giants. Yes. Here's, here's a stat. Never lose. And um, when they trail, doesn't matter. When you look up, Donovan Solano is always just on second base. So I don't quite – like that's a team that <laughs> is, is he not? Like that's, and so is Tommy LaStella. Like that's a team that just always wins and you can't quite figure out how. I think it also underscores the value of Liam Hendricks, right? Like if, if, if Hendricks is on your ball club right now – you got two or three more wins. Like there's just no question in my mind. But that's you know that's the part of the nature and operating in the market in which you do. You know once you know Trevino's uh, struggled of late, and so you guys have lost some games late. That's just that's just how these things go. But I'm pretty confident that the Red Sox are going to continue to fall. To be candid, so I don't think the A's have to play A baseball to the playoffs the rest of the season, but they got to play at least C plus baseball based based upon you know the deficit that they're now that they're now dealing with. Yes, the Yankees are one dimensional, but when they do have that dimension. They win games. I mean, it's basically like they either hit home runs and win or they lose. So it's yes. like, can the A's keep them in the ballpark? Yes. Yeah, so right now, what has made the Yankees so special over the last two weeks is the sort of grind it out at bats that they're turning over game after game after game. So they've won uh, 11 straight games. Opposing starters during that span own an ERA of 7.1 against them have averaged 13 outs per start, four and a third innings, and 84 pitches. They're grinding at bats. And right now, over that span, the Yankees are averaging about 4.1 pitches per plate appearance. It's a lot of numbers. That's equivalent to the career of Joey Votto. The lineup right now for the New York Yankees is as disciplined 
or as nagging, as pestering, as the career of Joe Ivano. So it, what's going to – in a potential playing game or a playoff series against those guys, it's can your pitchers generate put-away pitches? Can your, can your pitchers win with two strikes? Because so long as they can do that, I think that most teams stand a decent chance against them that can win multiple ways. But right now the Yankees are grinding out at bats in a way that is making, very, making it very, very difficult for opposing pitchers that like to nibble. Yeah, and, I mean, this is a big series. I mean, we got 35 games left. I mean, where do you put this series really for both these teams? Um, it's massive for the A's. It's bigger for the A's than it is for the Yankees because the Yankees are playing with a lot of momentum right now. And the talent level is, is playing up, right? Like the back of the baseball cards sort of showing here. Stanton's been murdering the ball lately, just obliterating pitches all over the place. Judge has been fairly hot. DJ LeMay, who's decided to hit for the first time in, in forever. And Jamison Tyone's throwing like an ace. Like that's been the sort of untold story here. Garrett Cole's obviously a one, but Jamison Tyone has been among the best pitchers in the American League since the All-Star break. And that's the difference for them. The difference for them is now that they have, you know, starting to compile starting pitchers that you feel decent about throwing a potential playoff game or a potential elimination game. That was not the case early on in the season. So I guess if, if, if speaking at it from the perspective of the A's, again, th- your pitchers need to be aggressive with two strikes because the Yankees don't chase. The Yankees rank among, you know, among the least best at, at chasing those pitches. And on the other side, the Yankees blow cheese. I mean, this is, a, this is a team front to back with a lot of guys that throw really, really hard premium velocity it's um and and, and extremely really extremely good the, the relievers coming out of the pen and stranding inherited runners so th- these are things that over the course of time we're seeing hold steady for the yankees i don't know i think it's a massive series for the A's because you can't afford to to hiccup again in a series of this length against a team for which you are fighting for the wild card that's obviously the big difference here every loss counts you know counts for two for all intents and purposes what happened but what happened to my fight in phil's in the uh nl east what happened to you guys I'll tell you what, my boy Zach Wheeler, the front runner to win the National League Cy Young Award, threw maybe the worst pitch I have ever seen yesterday night in a 4-4 to game with Francisco Mejia up to plate, and an 0-2 count hits his spot. It just hits his spot, fastball, belt high, out over the plate for reasons unbeknownst to me, and Francisco Mejia hit the ball to the moon. Second deck shot, given the context of the circumstances, I'm not sure I've ever seen a worse pitch than that. And what really, what it really underscores to me more than anything, aside from the fact that I hate the Phillies and all things baseball at the moment, is that the Rays have this sort of voodoo magic also. That is hard. Is, I mean, it's difficult to quantify, but I will try. Right now, they own a run differential of plus 50 in the ninth inning alone. The Rays have outscored their opponent by 50 runs in the ninth inning this season. What's what they pop? do, it's absurd. It's going to be the best ever, or at least close to the best ever. They have an outstanding bullpen, and for some reason, those guys really, really um, hit relief pitching. It drives me crazy, but that's the best team in the American League right now for my money, and the Yankees aren't going to catch them. So in a, in a wild card scenario, I think it's going to be Yankees. And, and if I had to bet an amount of money that matters to me right now, it would be the A's because the Rays aren't giving up. They're going to win 100 games. How is that possible to have a run differential like that in the ninth inning? It's, it is – I mean, I, I'm, waiting to, I'm waiting to read the – 3,000-word athletic piece on, on the magic that these guys create at the end of the game. I mean, seriously, like, every night there's something incredible. Like, Francisco Mejia hit a ball into the second deck on an 0-2 pitch from the best pitcher in the National League last night. Like, it's just it's just every night something like that happens. Like, some teams just have it. Like, I hate to say it because I'm a numbers guy, but there are just certain teams that that don't pinch up when it matters. The Giants, as you guys learned the hard way last week, or that is that yeah. team in the National League. 
in the American League right now, that, that team is the Rays. Those guys are really good. And I'll tell you what, Wander Franco is legit. That guy's gotten on base every day for a month now. He looks like a freaking superstar to me. I could see him having a postseason the way that we saw Xander Bogarts have as a 20-year-old and uh, Andrew Jones and Miguel Cabrera. Like That's the kind of off the postseason he could have because he's as talented as any player in the world, and he's starting to figure it out at the plate. Or the guy on the team, Randy Rosarena, last year. Uh, Randy Rosarena had like the best postseason of all time last year. I hadn't heard of him two months before, but Frank, like Franco's the guy with the track record. Like he's the kid with like who, who we've been told since he was 16 years old. He's got next. Well, that next is right now, and right now he has the longest on base streak by an American League player that age since Frank Robinson. So he's obviously doing something right. Like, how do we quantify what the Giants and the Rays, these teams, late innings, pinch hitters, like it's stuff that shouldn't be happening. No, I think it goes to show you, though, that baseball is a sport for as much as we like to quantify everything. And I work in this I, like I live in this world. There is still something about the, the interpersonal and managers pressing the right buttons and players knowing their roles and all that stuff matters. And if you watch the Giants play, like you guys just got to do everyone on that team knows what they're supposed to do. You know, and that's a thing. Like it's a, it's a basketball team. Like, you know, when you're supposed to pass, you know, when you're supposed to shoot, you know, when you're supposed to rebound, you know, when you're supposed to run the fast break, like they're, they, they're just a club that gets it. Like the giants own the best batting line in baseball when they're behind in the game, feel like the 17th best batting line in baseball when they're ahead, like they just hit when they have to, it's a weird thing. And it's hard to imagine it, it holding up over the course of a full season, but like we're three fourths of the way through the season. At what point are we going to say like, Maybe there's something to this. Like, we should believe teams when they tell us who they are, I guess is what I'm saying. Yes, there's something about magic. There's something about having that it factor that the bottom line is, as much of a numbers guy that you are, you can't quantify it. No. The, what, what the Giants, what the Rays can do in high leverage, and it's, it's people without experience, it's people with experience, it's pitchers that are just, are just called up, it's veteran relief pitchers. It's just a culture. Like, Dave Kapler has obviously set a really nice culture there, which he did not do in Philadelphia. And the Rays have something going where they can be – they're a factory. It doesn't matter, like, who who's up. Like, whether it's Kevin Kiermeyer as a defensive replacement or whether, whether it's Brandon Lau hitting a – like, it's people that you – it's people – like, the, the, they're a team for whom, like, the sum of their parts – it's like whatever that saying is, you know, like, I, which I always mangle. Like, they're greater than the sum of their parts. But when you do it every single year, like they have, there's obviously something organizationally that they're getting right. Maybe it is something mathematical that they have that we don't publicly – but whatever it is, it, it, it's demonstrated in the, in the uh, on the standings. As a right-handed hitter, Starling Marte has reminded us of the great Ricky Henderson. Truly <laughs> one of the greatest players of all time. And I'm sure he's going to be very high up. Uh, when is the book coming out, by the way? <laughs> well, Joe Posnanski is putting out a uh, – he has like a baseball 100 book coming out this year. So I'm sort of um, dragging my feet a little bit. But we're like two-thirds of the way through the research. We're talking about years and not months here. But honestly, I'm just enjoying the heck out of researching all these players. And for as much as I knew about Ricky Henderson, Ricky Henderson is an underrated player historically. He just is. He, he's the only player in the modern era to have 100 runs, 100 walks, and 100 fields in the same season. He did it three times. Over the course of his 11-year prime, he produced 28% more value than any other player in baseball, including pitchers. He is a player who's like his stolen base record, the gap between him and second base and second place, Lou Brock, of course, it's 50%. It's by far the largest gap of its kind of any all time counting stat. This is a play. And obviously his 1989 postseason is a stuff of legend. One of the great postseasons of all time. And the Starling Marte factor is an interesting one for your club right now. I told you guys, when you traded for him, I thought he might be the most impactful 
move at the trade deadline. And obviously that's before I knew about Ramon Laureano. Maybe you guys knew at that point and I didn't. But either way, that guy might save your season. And he's a player that could make a massive difference in an emergency situation like a one-game playoff in Yankee Stadium because one run matters. And right now there's not a player in baseball who can create one run better than Starling Marte can create one run. It's amazing to watch him play. Like He's brilliant. You know, watching whether it was the Pirates or watching, you know, you knew he was a good player, but I had no idea. Like, he gets on first base, it's like, I'm going, and everybody in the ballpark knows he's going. But getting back to Ricky Henderson. Yes. Um, when you look at uh, – we know he's an all-time great. Where do you compare him to – you know, when you start thinking of Ruth and Mays and Aaron and – Ed Williams and these guys, where do you put, do you put Ricky up there with those guys? Not quite. Still not quite. That's just me. Here's my, here's my thing about Ricky Henderson. So we know, I mean, this guy produced more than a hundred wins above replacement. I mean, he's a top 20 position player all time, but like there are tiers to these things. There are levels to these things. He's not Ted Williams. He's not Ty Cobb. He's not Willie Mays, but amongst players to debut since, I don't know, world war two, like he's in the top 10 easily, like easily. So like, I mean, that isn't to, 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 to besmirch anything that he did throughout his career. I mean, he's an all-time great. Um, what we learned, though, is stealing bases isn't, isn't quite as valuable as we used to think. So, like, that's something that over the course of time, Matt, like Matt has sort of proven not to take anything away from him because at that time, we thought it mattered a lot, and he did it better than anyone that ever lived. The other thing, too, is for a player as fast as him, he was essentially a league-average player uh, on defense as a left fielder. At least that's what the numbers say. So, like, those are the – if you're going to start picking nits, which you have to do when you're talking about these, you know, these all-time greats, you have to start doing those things. But there's no question in my mind that he is the greatest leadoff hitter that ever lived. And when Bill James said you could split his career in two and you'd have two Hall of Famers, he's right. I mean, he produced, he's produced as much war as, you know, for example, Willie Stargell and David Ortiz did combined. I mean, that's not hyperbole. And I'm not sure anyone, you know, for whatever it's worth, ever played more games professionally than he did when you consider his minor league career and his independent league career. I mean, he just loved – he loved the game of baseball like no one has ever loved anything. Um, and uh, I guess the question I would ask the, to you, though, in, in response is, like, he played for more teams than Hall of Famer did. So, like, that isesn't to say that he was not well-liked or, the fa- or, or, or there's, there's no there's no, there's no compromising of his character. But, like, name all the teams he played for. <laughs> no, I mean, just name all the teams. So that's my thing with him. Like, he obviously hung on for so long, which is a skewed stat because most guys like him would have retired at 35. But, he, I mean, I swear, like, as a 60-year-old, he could steal a base in Major League Baseball right now. You know, uh, you know, Co- Co- Cody's favorite, right, Cody, all-time is Seattle Mariner great Ricky Henderson. <laughs> not not, not Angel or Dodger or Padre or Met. I actually um, I remember him great. primarily. I remember him primarily as a member of the Newark Bears. That's uh, – <laughs> I have a Henderson Newark Bears player team somewhere stashed. Oh, what what was the team in Long Beach he played for? There was Bana- a, 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 a banana slugs or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> but like in all seriousness, an all-time great who I don't think gets the shine that he deserves. I'm not quite sure why, but the numbers just absolutely jump off the page. And I thought it was worth mentioning today. Yeah, you know, the crazy thing is like Derek Jeter, I think in his 20th year, finally passed Ricky as the all-time game. <laughs> base really wasn't there that long for the Yankees and he was the all-time stolen base leader for them uh when you've researched all these guys who's the one guy that you researched you went wow this guy is better than I thought Pedro Pedro Martinez in 1999 and 2000 which I remember 
was the greatest pitcher that ever lived. But at that time, I wasn't quite smart enough or astute to uh, know the perspective because his stats jumped off the page, but they weren't like Sandy Koufax stats, except you have to adjust it for the fact that he was pitching in the American League East during the heart of the steroid era. There was a two-season span in which his ERA was almost two runs better than any qualified pitcher in the American League. He had a completely ridiculous season. He retired as the only pitcher ever to strike out more batters than base runners allowed. He was way ahead of his time, and he did so at five foot eleven and 170 pounds. I mean, this is a, a diminutive guy with these flexible fingers, a fastball changeup split that's like 18 miles per hour apart. Like, I, I have been blown, blown away with, with – with uh, Pedro Martinez's numbers, and I, I don't know if he qualifies as a as a what if because I mean he was just he was so incredibly brilliant. But like in the first hundred, I, I tweeted this out the other day. Over the first 123 seasons of baseball history, only once did a pitcher strike out 10 batters in seven consecutive games. It was Nolan Ryan in 1977. Pedro Martinez did it twice in 1999 alone. And we're talking about like he's facing the 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 juice the juiciest hitters, if you will in the history of, of baseball in pitcher and uh, hitter friendly ballparks. Like we're talking about the greatest pitcher that ever lived. I didn't appreciate it. Like I should have. That's amazing. Cause I like when, when you look back at that time, like we forget that. Yeah. I mean, well over 75% of every guy <laughs> getting into the box was on something. That's right. And Pedro Martinez was pitching to them the way that Jacob deGrom is this year against these compromised hitters. It's, it's it's a it's it's a two season stretch that I, I don't think has ever been duplicated probably in any sport to be totally candid when you consider the obstacles and the performance. All righty, let's end on this. Mm. So the greatness that is ESPN Get Up and ESPN Radio with Greeny, the show that you do. Mm. Who's winning the Super Bowl? <laughs> I know you're breaking it down. I, I am going to break it. I am. Who is so I'm going to Reno as soon as the season ends, I'm heading to Reno and I'm going to put I'm going to the sports book and I'm putting all my money on who I'm not going to give you the bucks of the Chiefs because everyone's going to say that. And if that winds up happening, it's not going to you know win you any money anyway. Oh, Brady again. Come on. That can't happen. In the AFC, I got the Ravens. I think the Ravens are going to get over the hump this year. And in the NFC, I have the San Francisco 49ers. I think the 49ers are the best team in the NFC aside from Tampa. They're the team that I think is likeliest to win the conference if Tampa does not. And uh, I think when you blend in all the variables with you know returning players that were uh, unhealthy last year, you add a, a security blanket, a, a second quarterback to the roster when you know Kyle's going to be able to scheme it up, that I think is the best team in the NFC if I'm not going to give you Tampa. All right, so I feel bad for you being a baseball guy that you constantly have to talk LeBron. Brutal. Constantly have to talk Lakers. Mm. And you constantly have to talk NFL. <laughs> How much, to, if there is one team in the NFL, no matter what their record is, you're going to have to talk about them constantly. Who is that? It's the Dallas Cowboys. It's oh. America's team. It's America's team. Oh. It's, America's, it's America's eight and 18. Makes me want to throw up. That's what we do. Dak Prescott, you may have, you may have not have heard. He's got a shoulder right now. He's got a bump shoulder. Coming off a leg injury, also, oh, you may not have heard. That, that Dak, never heard Dak of it. Prescott, mm, never heard of him. That's how we say it in New Jersey. Look, I, I enjoy watching football every weekend. I mean, watching watching college and on Saturdays and pro, you know, NFL on Sunday is wonderful. But it's the five, it's the it's the five days in between that are much less desirable. <laughs> but, how, how are my Eagles going to be? I think the, I got the Eagles at seven and ten. I think the Eagles are going to 
I think, I think like they'll flash a little. Jalen Hurts is going to be better than people think, but they're not a they're not a very good team. I think to flip the script on you though, I think the Raiders have the chance to be the worst team in all of football. Whoa, the worst team in whoa, all of football. Whoa, whoa. Let me let, follow my logic trail here, okay? Just whoa. real quick. Follow my logic trail here. Well, don't don't worry about our tax problems. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll I'll leave I'll leave all the financials out of it. The Raiders have already blown their chance to get good, and here's why I think that. They had five first-round picks in John Gruden's first two years, and none of them now look like stars. Not, not sure even any of those guys look like they're going to be league average regulars. When you trade Khalil Mack and Amari Cooper and you get that capital in return and you don't have to replace the quarterback, there is zero excuse for you not to be a rocket to the moon. But they've not been. They've mangled the defense. They've mangled the offensive line. And the fact that they got maybe all five of those picks wrong, I think, is what will sort of scuttle this rebuild before it even started. I think the Raiders are going to win like three or four games this year. Talk me out of it. Uh, Mike Mayock, better GM or better on television on NFL Network? I mean, based upon what I've seen for the first three years here, he's not a very good GM. Because, look, these picks that he's made have been reaches. Like, everyone in the football world has said so. They just try to outsmart everyone. When you try to do, when you think you're the smartest one in the room, you're not. You don't have to prove it, right? You don't have to draft Alex Leatherwood two rounds before you should have. You don't draft a running back in the first round just because you like the kid. Like there's just too many, there's been too many miscalculations. Like when you rebuild, it's a fine line. Plus, you're moving to a new, a new city. You have a lot of obstacles. Like you have to get that stuff right. Your scouting and player development has to be on point. Theirs has not been. Those five first round picks, I think, are going to scuttle this whole freaking thing. I think a year from now, I wouldn't be surprised if Mike uh, Mayock's not even there anymore. All right. January 9th is the last game of the year, and according to you, will mean nothing for the Raiders. As they're, yeah. taking, as they're taking on the Chargers, who have no fan base in Los Angeles. Uh, I'm inviting you. I'm putting a trip together. I will pay for you to fly out. I'll take care of your hotel, and I'll take care of the tickets. You meet me in Vegas on January 9th, Raiders Chargers. That sounds like that sounds like a dream, but do we have to go to the game? No. <laughs> <laughs> we can send the sports book. It's the final day of the year, which by the way, the final day of the year is actually a great time to bet because there are certain teams who are not trying to win, they're not playing anybody, and it's easy money. <laughs> They're all playing at once, too. I, I'd rather sit in the hotel room with you and just watch Ken Burns baseball and do this. Like, I don't care if anyone's recording us or not. Like, the, we don't even have to fly to Vegas to make that happen. Let's go. For, every, for everything that you do, I'll pay for your flight. I'll pay for your room. You meet me in Vegas on January 9th, the final weekend of the year. All right, baby. Let's smoke some meats. Me, me you, and Mayock. Well, May, May, Mayock may be sitting next to us in the sports book. <laughs> Hopefully, hopefully he's not an acting GM at that point, if that's the case. <laughs> Most importantly, I'm rooting for you in your ribs today. That's I will send you a photo. I will send you a photo shortly. You're a good man. It's always nice to talk to you. And the, the rest that you provide me to be able to talk baseball is something that I greatly appreciate. So you're doing me a favor 10 times over. No LeBron, no Warriors. We're not. We're, we're talking baseball, my friend. We're, we're talking baseball. Always going to do it, bud. Be well, be safe. Peace. Elvis Andrews, the shortstop for your Oakland Athletics. I will never forget when you came to the A's. I think you were on vacation in Miami, and we had you on Zoom. Yes. And I thought that was, you know what, that was such a classy thing, and now we get to see each other in person here on the field. This is where we normally do the show. I always wanted to say thank you because you didn't have to do that. That was really cool. No, no, you're welcome, man. Uh, that was me, like you mentioned. You know, I just got traded, and 
I know it's a lot of media here in Oakland wanted to talk, so it was it was a good time. You know, even that I was in vacation, I was always gonna have time for you guys. By the way, happy birthday! Thank you, thank you. Thirty-two, huh? Thirty-three. Thirty-three. Yeah. Wow, you're. I old. wish it was thirty-two. <laughs> <laughs> you know how it is now in baseball. If you're thirty, everybody thinks you're super old. So, but you, uh, yeah, thirty-three, man. You know, I think about you and your career. You tormented us for so <laughs> many. That that was one of the cool things about, you know, talk about someone who comes in in division. Like, you played really well against the A's for years, and it was like, we traded for Elvis, and it was like the enemy coming to us was, like, refreshing how much you did damage against <laughs> us. What really was it like for you as a longtime – you grew up in that organization, right? You grew up – your family, your kids, your wife, the whole – what was it like coming here? Uh, it, was, it was weird for sure at the beginning. Uh, I didn't know how it was going to be or how I was going to react. Uh, but I think, you know, first day in spin training when I saw myself in green, uh, that's when, like – Had things, to be weird. Yeah, that's when <laughs> things started hitting. Uh, to my brain, but uh, I mean, besides that, I think the transition went really well. Uh, you know, I love the group, love the manager. Uh, you know, Bob has been, he always been that guy that I always uh, play against, and as a player, you always knew how smart he was with all the moves that they used to do uh, back in the day. So, you know, I always, I remember I always uh, thinking inside myself, I would love to play for a person like him, you know, he's, it's very weird to find manager like him. There's not too many in the league, so it's been a really uh, another dream come true, you know, being able to play for Bob. You know, ha having a child during the season is not easy, right? I mean, obviously, um, what was what was that like? I mean, obviously, having a child is one of the greatest days of your life with with, with you and your wife, but uh, but. I mean, it's not easy, right? I mean, you're, you're there for a couple of days and you got to go back to work. Tell us what that experience is like. Yeah, well, it's my second experience. I got my my oldest, uh, and, you know, he born in 2017. It was in July, so it was literally in the middle of the season also. But You need to start making this in the offseason. <laughs> well, my daughter is, is in November, so she's in the offseason. But uh, it is tough, like you say. It is, it is tough because... Uh, you know, as, as, a, as a father figure, you I need to be at home, you know, there for my wife, uh, helping her, especially, you know, being pregnant, having two running around, you know, kind of making it crazy. But, uh, you know, really glad of the, you know, my wife, Corey, she's, she's a bad, she's a bad person. Uh, I don't know how she do it, you know, we all three right now, but uh, it is tough for sure. But, I mean, kids are the best, man. It's the best blessing. You know, and I, and I think about, you know, during that time also end up being Adrian Beltre as they are honoring him and retiring his number. And you guys are so tight. I mean, to think about all the years you had, the greatness that you – I mean, we witnessed it, right? We got to see it. Uh, I, know, I know you had a prepared statement, but, you know, to not be there had to be tough because I know how much he means to you. No, for sure. I mean, there was only one way – that I was not going to be able. And I knew I talked to him for the previous week uh, about my baby coming around that time. And, uh, I mean, he understood. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was a little – it was tough because I do wanted to be there. Uh, I was going to be talking during that ceremony. Uh, I have a lot of – I got a really good stuff going that I wrote it down. 
I have a lot of good stories for you know for all the fans and people yeah. that didn't know. So I think maybe you know in a future reunion, fans will know about those stories. But uh, yeah, he does mean a lot for me. You know, a lot for uh, to me and my family. So you know, I, I know it went well, and uh, you know that's what matters. You know, for all of us who have played this game at whatever level, we understand that shortstop is a premier. It's premier, right? The best athletes play shortstop. What does it mean to you that all these years you've played the premier position at such a high level and you've been doing it? And I know we talked about you. You change how you work out as you get older and your body changes, but you're still doing it at the highest level. What does that mean to you? Uh, it means a lot, man. Uh, I mean, it, it all goes from, you know, the love that I have for this game. Uh, Shortstop is a position that I played since I was like five years old. You know, it's the only position that I played, literally. I don't know nothing else but sure. Uh, and I love it. I love it. Like you say, it's a, it's a pre, uh, premier position, and I'm in literally every play. Uh, I got no no time to rest. I got no innings to just chill out and, and just go out there and be there. And that's what I love about playing shortstop. You have to be, no matter how good you're hitting or not, you have to be 100% uh, for defense. Uh, so, you know, I'm really blessed that I still can do it in, after 13 seasons. And, you know, I got to keep working hard because the game's getting younger. And uh, I have to show that, you know, I still can play that position every day. You really are going to go down as one of the very few guys who played every day for that long at that position. There's only so many people in the history of the game who have been able to play shortstop for well over 10 years at a high level. Just talk to us about when you play that position, you understand the pitcher, you understand what they're calling and the catcher and how they're how they're going after a hitter. People don't realize how cerebral you have to be to be a shortstop. Oh, for sure. That's what I'm saying. Like We are literally in every single play in the infield. Short stuff have something to do. And, and I mean, besides the catcher, which I think is one of the toughest, all the toughest position, because he's like our quarterback. You know, he, he knows how to deal with every play in, in every position. But short stuff, you know, in center field, we're like, you know, we're on a line with the catcher, and we are the guys that we rely. You know, we maintain our defense, uh, you know, 100% in our toes. Uh, and in this team, it's always been easy, especially when you have corners like, Olsen and, and Chapman that make everything easier for the rest of us. Uh, it's kind of like a lot of fun. So, you know, I've been really blessed to play with a nice and, and a future Hall of Fame, third baseman in my career, and it's a lot of fun, man. I think that it just make it easier for me as a shortstop uh, and for everybody because they, they bring it every single day. And, and, you know, when you see guys like that, it, it make you play defense 100% too. I think about Matt Olsen. And I think about how tall he is, his wingspan, his ability to pick it is the best in baseball. How much do you know that you, hey, as long as I field it and get it somewhere near that guy, <laughs> he's going to make the play. It allows you to be daring, right? Oh, for sure, man. Uh, I haven't been able to play with a first baseman, you know, maybe like the couple, last a couple of years with Guzman in first, which like you mentioned, they can reach. Their reach is unbelievable, and they can pick the ball. But, yeah, when you have somebody like Olsen in first, man, he just he takes the, the throwing out of your mind, which is, you know, 50% of infielders. Uh, and you actually concentrate on get the ball. 
and release it because uh, he's going to get it however. So uh, it, it means a lot, man. He, I think, you know, he's one of the reasons why our infield uh, has been so great this year because when you just have to worry about catching the ball and not too much about making a perfect throw, you end up making a lot of good throws. You know, it's just kind of like the, the the psychological part of the game. And, and you know, it's, I hear that all the time. I saw it from far, you know, when we play against Oakland. But now being here, uh, I can, you know, I can realize how, you know, guys are so good because, you know, you don't really have to pay attention or, or worry too much about your throwing to first. I've been waiting to ask you this question, by the way. So I think about being a shortstop, and they move you in a shift to where you're above second base or you're actually on the second base side. And I think the other day against the Mariners, to me, Lou Trevino made a good pitch, a changeup, and it was a ball that would have been directly at you if you were normally playing short Bowers. Yeah. And if I, you know, thinking, I'm a former pitcher, right? So I think <laughs> about it and I go, I did my job. Yeah. I, I got a weak hit right to where shortstop would normally be. You as a shortstop, you were playing on the second base side. The ball was hit where you normally would be. What are you thinking during that point? Well, I mean, I'm literally one of a few guys that feel really uncomfortable doing all the shift because, like you mentioned, I mean, you play this game and, and, and as a pitcher, you always work on, you know, delivering the pitch that you want to, you know, locate your pitch, knowing that if you put it there, you're going to get the weak ground balls. You're going to get the easy out. And when that happens and then you turn and we all in the other side, you know, it's, it's, it can tell you how much the game has changed. So, I mean, it's, it's just about to make an adjustment. For the pitcher, know that everybody's in the other side, so you have to throw something to make people pull it pretty much. And for us, an infielder, just, you know, I don't really like when I'm playing in second base and somebody hit the ball, you know, towards shortstop where nobody is, but... It's just the way it goes right now, man. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, I grew up with a, another type of baseball than the one we're playing right now, offensively and defensively. We all did. Yeah. <laughs> so it is, it is hard, man. It is hard for me, uh, especially playing defense, you know, react when I'm playing in second because I never play second. So now when I play second, people doesn't realize that, like, my reaction changed because I'm used to see the ball from the shortstop view. And now when I'm in that side – my body and my brain is like, what, like, where am I supposed to do? Like, well, you know, what timing I need to have? So it's like things that like, for the past few years I've been, I think it's been the toughest for me, and it's only defensively. Offensively, it's a completely different game too. Yeah, when you're up at the plate, I mean, you think about it. When we all grew up, they talked about hitting the ball back up the middle, <laughs> the right? Middle. Oh, in the four hole. And, and, and now there's a hit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, now there's guys there. But, you know, people ask me all the time because they know that I pitched back in college, and they all say, would you pitch to the shift? And I'd be like, no, I'd pitch to what I'm good at. Yeah. But yet, I want you to be where the shortstop <laughs> is when I throw my – like, yeah. it's, it's very tough. For, I mean, can you imagine as a – think about it, where you are and where they're telling you to be. But as a pitcher, do I pitch to the shift or do I pitch what – I think I can get the hitter out. I mean, I think you have to be uh, – nowadays you have to you have to go 50-50, man. It's hard to, like, stay old school because if you go old school, the game, you know, has evolved, and you have to evolve with the game. But, uh, I mean, I think all good pitchers are going to always trust their stuff and, and trust their self. And as long as you get out, no matter however you do it. But uh, it is, you know, right now baseball is changing a lot, and 
and all the things that you used to work, you know, the stuff that I used to do when I was from minor league all the way to the big league, like you mentioned, you know, hit the ball through the middle. Like for me, hitting the ball in between first and second is like 90% hits. And this year, I got so many balls It's caught. like an easy <laughs> hit now. <laughs> now it's like, now I have to hit the second base. That's a hit where like I always, for so many years, I tell myself, hit, but, you know, don't hit to the second base. That's an out. So now that's a hit. So I have to like rewire, rewire my brain, telling that like if I get a ground ball where it used to be now, it's a hit, you know, nowadays. So it's just you know it's a change. But like I say, you know, it's I, I'm not gonna do anything positive, whining or, or, or arguing about it. You know, it's, I have to make that adjustment, and you know when I make that adjustment, then everything's gonna go back to normal. So you change your off-season regimen, and obviously it has worked. And we're, okay, you're 33 years old as of today. But the thing that you bring to this team is athleticism and your ability to steal bases. And I think of Starling coming in here and what he's been doing. Just talk about for you how, man, you're 33, but let's go, man. You can still steal bases and your athleticism is a huge part of, of who you are and what your game is. Yeah, for sure. I mean, being aggressive in the base uh, is always something that I take a lot of pride uh, you know, I, I love to study the game uh, when I'm in the bases and I know how how big difference you can make, you know, by knowing or making a good running, you know, a base running change completely can change a game. Uh, and it's happening this year, you know, when we're running the bases aggressive and, and you know, we're not having, you know, no, no fear. We're just going first to third, uh, second to home, trying to take opportunities. It gives you that extra run, you know, every single day. And, and, I, you know, I love the way we're running the bases. Uh, nobody's afraid of getting out. We know that you're going to get out, but as long as you're aggressive and smart, uh, good things going to happen. And for me, it's, that's, you know, that's something that I always want to bring to the table. Uh, when I was with the Rangers and now with, with Oakland A's, because I always, I'm a true believer, there's a lot of, there's a lot of good things uh, when you run the bases. Uh, it's smart, but with no fear. And, I mean, this, this year has been, it's been that case. Two more for you. Uh Huge series against the Yankees. Talk to us about this four-game set, 35 games left, what this means for your ball club. I uh, think it's a key. Uh, this series is a key. Uh, that day off yesterday was it was perfect, man. We need it as a team. But uh, I think this is, I mean, so far I will say the most important series for us. Uh, uh, and it's not because who we play in is, I think, uh, time in the season. And, you know, it's a fourth season against a team that is in the hunt like us. So uh, it's going to be really key. I mean, I, I love that we're going to face a team that is, you know, in the hunt. Also, they, they have a lot of things to lose like us. So it's going to be an, an amazing series, and hopefully, you know, it goes in our way. You know, uh, last question here. You've been a great fielder. There's no doubt about it. The data says you've been a great fielder in your time. And I think about Adrian Beltre and watching him all those years, you know, watching him with the Dodgers, then to Seattle, Boston, Texas. We know what a great player is. He's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. The guy we got here, this kid, and Matt Chapman, you know, two-time platinum. Forget gold glove. Two-time platinum. As much as I, I appreciate the game of Adrian Beltre, watching him, hell, before you were even the big leagues, I was watching him. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I've ever seen anyone better than Matt Chapman athletically at third base. And I'm talking Mike Schmidt, uh, you go Brooks Robinson. I mean, I mean, you played with two of the greatest third basemen of all time. 
when you look at Beltray, you look at Chapman, I mean, how do you view Matt Chapman? I mean, it is unbelievable. Uh, and, and I talked to Adrian uh, this year about it. Uh, and, like, he does remind me a lot of Adrian. Uh, but I'll say that, you know, probably Matt right now is like Adrian when he was younger, you know, when he was yeah. probably a lot, you know, a lot quicker. Uh, like Dodgers, you, Mariners. Yeah, like Dodgers, yeah. Mariners. Because uh, I do remember he used to be, like, a lot more explosive, you know, a third. Uh, and then when he was with us, he was still super superstar, but, you know, a, more, a lot more wise. You know, it wasn't as, as crazy movement, explosive net, but he was just – you know, like perfect. It was just like when you combine experience with like being smart and talented, it just like, like kind of like blossom something. That was Adrian. And like we, we mad, it's, it's unbelievable because how young he is and I mean, how good that kid is, man. And he brings it every single day. That's something that, you know, he does remind me a lot of similarity with Adrian because he loved to play every single day. Uh, offense don't matter for them. Don't matter if they're like killing the ball or they're struggling at the play. Their defense is always there. They play the game. Actually, they're all both better defender when they were not hitting, which is unbelievable. And I think it's an amazing quality. Uh, but Matt, yeah, I think Matt has a better arm than Adrian. And I mean, Adrian used to throw lower, but Matt, Matt arm is. I mean, I'll, I'll give them it's both. Crazy good. I, I think as a glove, <laughs> of glove wise, movement of glove. Uh, I mean, Adrian, he was an animal and a savage with, like, hard balls hitting to him because he never moved. Uh, and I don't think I haven't seen that. Uh, that's something that I know Matt will probably do in the future where he's, like, you know, those one chopper to, like, to him just sticking and no moving, you know, don't try to move and catch it, just literally just hold, like, you know, hold the ball. I've never seen that. Like, Adrian will never move no matter how hard he hit it. He will stay there and caught it with his body, whatever it is. But the way Chapman released the ball is is beautiful. I can I can literally every time he get a ground ball, I can literally just sit there yeah. and enjoy that beautiful line all the way to first base. Uh, but I mean, like I say earlier, I knew it, and I mean, with a hundred plus game play with him, I, you know, I'm really blessed to play with two of the best top top five defensively third baseman the whole history of the game totally and the I'm, history of the and game the history of the game and hey you know what we hate the astros you know <laughs> yeah i mean i oh, don't yeah, know we do i, I, <laughs> I do yeah. too <laughs> yeah 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 we were one of the first teams to turn them in by the way yeah we hate the astros can't stand the angels and eh, no one cares about the mariners yeah never hated you guys you know why because you know you think about what your manager was and what he means yeah. in our heart a uh, very good friend of our program, you yeah, know, Wash. when it, when it washes, one of the great human beings that has ever been a part of this. Game. And you know how long he was here. Oh yeah. And brought back. Yeah. We always, God, I wish you guys would have won that World Series. Oh, I mean, yeah. you had two shots at it, but you should have beat the Cardinals. Same, yeah. We were rooting. You know, keep believe we were rooting <laughs> for you guys. I bet. I bet. I mean, Wash, Wash is a, you know, he's he's a great character. I mean, he means a lot in my career. He's one of the main reasons why. Uh, I got to the league to the league so young, but I was like so comfortable. Like he made me feel like I, you know, like I was part of the team since day one. It's been training, and and you know, he never made me feel like a young player, like a rookie. Uh, I was always, you know, Elvis for him, and you know, even into the last game that he managed me, he always was the same guy. He got my back in goods and the lows, 
uh, and, and, and as a player, that's, you know, it's really hard to find that nowadays. Uh, but yeah, man, those, those years were unbelievable. And, and like you mentioned, I, I heard that from a lot of teams, like, like usually the team on top, you hate him. You know, you you hate facing yeah, him. Yeah, we're but, rooting for you but guys. But a lot of people, when they played <laughs> us, they were they were really hate that. They were like, we kind of hate you guys because you're kicking everybody's ass. But, like, yeah. you guys having so much fun. It's hard to hate you guys. So, And, I mean, that's that's what our clubhouse was, you know. And he, he started from Wash. You know, he he bring the being loose and, and chill and just give you 100% taking care of your job, don't worry about the rest, good things gonna happen. And that's, that's, that's until this day, that's why I still, even that, I mean, this year I feel like I haven't had the season that I, ha that, that I wanted. I still got one more month, so I always trust myself uh, to end up where I'm supposed to end up, but I'm gonna always give the best, enjoy the game, man, because you never know when it's gonna take off. So, you know, that's, that's what I always tell the guys, enjoy, even in the worst, and when you're not doing that the best, Find a way to have joy in this game because you're gonna it's gonna be more bad than good times, but as long as you have that perspective where like any time is good, I mean that's that's where the joy, you know, that's where the joy comes and that's where the love and the passion comes. Well you guys are done with BP, you gotta go. I could talk to you all day and, <laughs> and one of the reasons why is you're a great professional. Thank it's you. A, it's the highest honor that anybody could say, what a great pro you've been and it's an honor to have you here with the Oakland Athletics. Thank you so much for your time. All right, man. Get us in the playoffs, my man. Let's go, man. Thank you. The Have great Elvis Andrus right here on A's Cast Live. This is Chris Townsend for my favorite golf course in the Bay Area, Cinnabar Hills Golf Club. Tucked in the beautiful hills of San Jose, Cinnabar Hills offers the finest 27 holes of championship golf in Silicon Valley. Come see the amazing new renovated clubhouse and restaurant, plus patio dining with the most breathtaking views. Cinnabar Hills is far more than a golf course. One of the premier places in the Bay Area to host weddings and any type of events. There's no golf experience like Cinnabar Hills Golf Club. Go to CinnabarHills.com. That's CinnabarHills.com. A's Cast Live continues from Ricky Henderson Field. Here's Chris Townsend. Yes, and Jessica Kleinschmidt is joining us from NBC Sports. I'm not going to say California. I'm not going to say Bay Area. You're bigger than that. You're just oh NBC Sports. No, no, no. But thank you. How are you? I'm good now that you gave me the best intro of my life. I mean, I think about it. I mean, you think about what you've done in your career. You just can't be boxed into, like, a cable channel, oh for God's sake. Oh, my gosh. Thank Let's you. Let's be honest. I've, I've done some cool stuff. Yeah. And you got the Death Leopard, which probably <laughs> I don't even know if you're yes. even – if you're even old enough to remember them in their height, Death Leopard. No, I, I'm not quite, but I do know that Pour Some Sugar on Me was a great walk-up song when I was in high school. <laughs> Until somebody told me what it was about. And then I was like, oh, well, I'm still going to keep it. It's a still a whole it's different still, ball game. It's yes. still going to stay. Yes, yes. All right. How are you feeling going into this series? Obviously, the Yankees are red hot. The A's are not. It's kind of like a um, kind of like a last stand for the A's. Where – you know, I've been saying on the post-game show that tell me where we are after Sunday and I'll tell you how the rest of the season is going to go. How do you feel? I feel like that's a comfortable statement to make, and I actually just asked Bob, I'm like, hey, well, it's a, it's against the Yankees, you know, and I think even heading into the Mariners series, it was the same mentality, and this is obviously not a knock on the Mariners because they're doing really, really well, but this is a very imperative series, just not just from the numbers itself, but I think just for the – ego and the confidence and everything like that. I know historically the A's like to win this series at home against the Yankees, but 
this team's so unique, and that's the only word that I can really use right now. They're very up and down. We know the roller coaster segment, very, very streaky. So I think we know it's a very important series. It, probably one of the most important ones of the season, I would say. Yeah, I think about streaky, and you just said it. Um, everybody has been streaky in the American League, right? I mean, even the Rays, who have not recently been streaky, but they've been very good. But Everybody in the American League has had their ups. Mm -hmm. They've had their downs. I think about the Yankees going into the Field of Dreams game. They're kind of doom and gloom, and people are calling for Aaron Boone's job. Right. I mean, it's it's. I mean, talk about how the American League has been so up and down. You know, I I think about the, just the trade deadline itself because if you really think about it, and I and I will not. I'm not being biased, but I think the A's really had the quietly the best transactional hall if you will but if you look across the board you didn't really have one team that was sticking out in the league overall and I feel like that's still somewhat the case and even if you look at like the Astros numbers um, they should be playing better I feel numbers wise and especially the Yankees too but they're they're hot right now and they were you mentioned people were looking for Aaron Boone to get fired and that's not something we're used to saying so I think across the American League that stuff is surprising where there isn't really just one one team kind of standing out above the rest, which is going to make it for a fun wild card situation, hopefully. We don't know how those wild card games can be. Um, but I feel like that's just kind of the, setting the tone for the entire season, and I feel like I have no idea what's going to happen toward the October months. And I think that's kind of a beautiful thing, but I think we also know just how the A's specifically – they're the king of this roller coaster, and I've never seen them this streaky ever. And it's and it's kind of weird to watch. But with that being said, we know the streakiness, the ups are extremely high. So there's at least that. Yeah, right now the the streaky part of the A's, the roller coaster, it's going down. Yeah. How do the A's get back up? And if we're gonna do the go, you know, you think about a total run, that, like, how do they get going again? We only have 35 games left. I, I agree, and I feel like if you really take a step back and all, like, just from the beginning, you know, Trevor Rosenthal getting injured, not being able to play. Brutal. Brutal. And Chris Bassett, even the fact that he can't, he's probably not going to pitch the rest of the season, I'm hoping just him coming back tomorrow or reuniting with the A's in some capacity is going to help just because they didn't have Chappie when he was, you know, injured because of COVID. So I feel like at least Bassett bringing back, I feel like maybe they need one of those remember the Titans talks from Chris Bassett, you know, and I feel like it, something like that needs to help or maybe bringing of course a more strong starter up maybe Dalton Jeffries is going to get up here and do some damage um I, I feel like he should have been up a while ago I, Blackburn I think if he steps up I think that's going to help um but they're just dealing with kind of everything else that the rest of the teams are dealing with I just feel like it's a little more heightened obviously Stephen Piscotty's underneath going under surgery tomorrow and that's not going to help but I don't think that hurts as much no disrespect to Piscotty but I think they're kind of mentally preparing for it so they just got to do the best they can um, and times 10 because you can't be at this point of the season where you're just being like, well, let's just drag it to the finish line because that's not the mentality that they have. And I've never seen a closer chemistry-wise team than I have in this team. And you, I'm tooting my own horn. You said I'm more than just boxing this A's and Giants bubble, but I think across all cylinders, this team is probably the best, the closest I've seen out of any team ever. And I feel like they don't want to let themselves down. So whatever they're doing, I can promise you they're aware of it. They just need to figure out the next steps. And I think that's just staying healthy and playing at the ability that they know to. And just talking to Bob the other day, I said, what does the team have to work on? And he straight up said everything. There isn't one part of the game that's doing great right now. And I think we can all agree with that. I'll never put you in the Giants box. Thank you. 
You're in the, you're in the A's box. If I do get in the Giants box, like how would you talk to me? Um, I don't think we'd have you on the program. Interesting. <laughs> no, interesting. No, hey, you know what the Giants? What's what's very impressive is, and I got to give it to them as much as I can't stand them, is what they got. Yeah. And they got it. Whatever it is. I don't even know what it is either. And even bringing on Chris Bryant, that was more like an FU transaction. At the very last yes. minute. I remember sitting on my couch. And so Cody and I are baseball nerds just like yourself. Yes. And watching MLB Network and watching ESPN on my computer, I'm watching both. And I thought it was awesome. It was yeah. like one of the best days ever. And they're like, what are the giant? And at the very last minute, kind of like a Verlander move. Yeah. At the at the waiver wire when right. there's like 10 seconds left and the Astro yeah. got him. It was kind of like Bryant was like kind of like that. Yeah. Um, they got it. Uh, I think we saw it with, with the Mariners. There's yeah. something about late innings where I have no fear. We're coming into attack. Right. Whatever moves, like Gabe Kapler can have guys sitting on the bench for over three hours. Yes, yes. And they're coming in pinch hitting, ready to go, and it keeps working. Yeah. Well, and I feel like the A's are kind of taking the opposite route. Um, I feel like when they have a lead, the panic mode is still kind of there in a way. I feel like a lot of times, I feel like especially in recent games, they've had one, two run leads, and they can't hold them. And it's almost like it doesn't matter how many insurance runs you get, something bad's about to happen. It's kind of a... Like, it's a lot of jinxes going on, I feel. In a All way. right, I'm going to put you in uniform. It's the ninth inning. You're looking down at the bullpen okay. tonight. Okay. Or, or the rest of the four games here. Uh-huh. Who are you bringing in to close? To close. Ninth inning. You're Bob Melvin. You're in uni. You That's like the nicest thing anybody's ever called me. Um, I, I would say Romo. I like what Romo's been doing. Um, and I feel like just from his – veteran approach to the game I feel like he's I'm so terrified somebody's gonna be behind me it's gonna be like Jake Deacon I'm at Jake Deakman I'm at Jake Deakman you're, you're in a safe zone here you're an ace cast Just you're fine ace cast live we have you're in a bubble but you don't know, think about that think about what you're saying and think about the callers that I take yeah if I would have said that if you and I were in Mesa Arizona okay and I would have been there and been like hey you know what I'm gonna do with 35 games left Sergio Romo is going to be my closer. You told me I was crazy. I would, yeah. I mean, I would tell you that either way, but that is correct. And I mean, even heading into the season, I was on the Jake Diekman train. Who wasn't, right? Yeah. But I think that's what's kind of cool about just specifically this team. I think at the Chris Davis years, both good and bad, when he was on top of it, the guys were, could pick him up when he wasn't, and vice versa. You know, when 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 Chris was really really bad, the guys knew how to step up to the plate, pun intended, and take care of it. And I feel like that's what's cool. And, I mean, losing Liam Hendricks was tough. It's extremely tough, and I feel like I'm blue in the face saying that. But they also knew losing him would be tough, so this is how they have to figure it out. And, you know, I think it's been obviously a really bunch of tough outings for, for Trevino, but he knows that. Um, but it's certainly not in his characteristics except for the most recent times. But, I mean, I like Romo in that situation right now. You know, I think about your career in the national spotlight <laughs> that you have. What is that like for you? Because, you know, a lot of people cover teams, mm-hmm. right? And you're synonymous, synonymous with that team. Yeah. But you have a national footprint. What's that been like for you in your career? You know, it's been pretty amazing because I 
every other day I get a text from somebody or a tweet from somebody saying, you're the reason I'm following Mays. So this person, I've, I've people from Washington, D.C. are like, hey, you're the reason I know who Mark Hanna is. Or this Matt Chapman guy, I'm so glad you wrote this about him. And I feel like that's what's important because this team mirrors my career. They're scrappy, like they don't go about it the certain ways. And next thing you know, they end up in the postseason. Just that's how my mentality has always been since I started my career. And I'm also not intimidated by anything. I'll cover the A's. I'll go to the World Series and cover the World Series. Like that stuff, I feel is why I'm successful and why I'm able to get a good reach is because sure, I'll tell you what's going on. I'll sit down with Matt Chapman on all A's, but then two seconds later, I want to show you this really viral clip of Javier Baez not swinging correctly at a, at a pitch from a, you know, a Sammy Long changeup and like stuff like that, like that stuff can resonate with even the casual fan. I feel like casual fans need a little bit more attention than the hardcore fans these days. Why baseball? I play baseball. I mean, you could do a lot of different things. There's a lot of different ways to go on TV and you know, do everything you do. Why baseball? Well, and TV's a bonus. I feel like I'm not even in love with the TV aspect. I feel like TV's like, cool, I can do that. Um, I'm a former baseball player myself. I played until I was a sophomore in high school and switched to softball. Um, and it's just like, I feel comfortable at a baseball field. It's I know my way around. I, I know what it's like to be a baseball player as much as I possibly could. And of course, you know, but I'm also in the press box with guys who still have the exact same baseball career that I did. And so I, I can't, I, so I hate when people like, like Cody. Oh. yeah, exactly. People, people look at me like, oh, she's a girl. She doesn't have much baseball playing experience. But like, Elias and I probably have the exact same baseball experience playing. You're probably better than he was. Oh, that's, goes without saying but the point is I mean, he's got to lose some weight let's be i am the only 11 only woman to ever make 11 12 all-stars for valley providence little league to this day and where was that reno nevada baby oh biggest yes. little city in the world it's something Boom. <laughs> i love i love reno it's, uh, it's I, I, will, I will be in reno in november our football guys draft, trip. Or the citrus. Is it? Okay. Yeah, just, just, Got it. You know, just drink and bet football. Right, right, right. So what did you play in baseball? So I was a first baseman until I stopped growing, obviously. I'm the same size as I was when I was 12. And then I switched. <laughs> I went across the diamond because um, I, I, I had a gun. I still have a gun. And I switched to shortstop and third base. And I actually, I just told Bobby Crosby this recently. I mirrored a lot of my shortstop playing ability after him. Wow. And I was like, this is kind of weird because I was interviewing him when I was talking about Nick Allen. And I was like, this is going to sound weird, but I mirrored a lot of my game after you. And just because he was just so, like, raw and, you know, the socks up and just what I always wanted to be as a shortstop and just always moving around and everything like that. So I, I was a mid-infield kind of a nerd. Couldn't hit for a while because I wasn't a good hitter. I, like, dropped my elbow a lot, but that's okay. My defensive game made up for it. You want to know when you're old? I went to school with Nick Allen's mom and aunt. Well. And I know his grandparents. We all went to the same church in San Diego. If it makes you feel better, I think I made Bobby Crosby feel old by telling him that I. Yeah. Nick Allen all of a sudden made me feel. His dad mm -hmm. is the contractor for our, our family restaurant oh, wow. in San Diego. Wow. I've known Nick Allen's dad before he even got drafted. Imagine how Todd Frazier feels right now. Oh. I just, we're getting old. We, I mean, you guys. You are. look great. You're a TV I'm, personality. I'm doing amazing. Yeah, you guys. You, you, you guys have some work. To yeah. Do. Well, Cody, you guys yeah, have I great faces for radio. This is why you're here. So, <laughs> in the end, 35 games left. Yeah. What do the A's have to do to make the postseason? Stay healthy. Be extremely aggressive on the bases. I'm obviously not talking to Starling Marte because he's doing a beautiful job with that. Um, and and don't get too. I'm not saying they get lax when they're up, but 
obviously something else is happening. And then obviously I think the pitching really needs to just be consistent, the starting pitching. Um, and I, because I, I feel like the bullpen's strong enough where we shouldn't have Birch Smith coming in the third inning. And yeah. mind you, the Chris Bassett situation was a was a different scenario, but uh, we shouldn't see Birch Smith until the end. Um, I think that's what's going to come down to. Maybe somebody from AAA can kind of help that because I'm sure a roster spot's going to be available. And obviously, September call-ups are happening soon. So. You're a rock star. You are. And we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna help you any way we can. Thank, thank you so much. We truly appreciate what you do for us here oh on Ace Oh, my gosh. Live. Of course. You guys are the best. And keep knocking it out of the ballpark and then uh, enjoy this series. And hopefully Sunday, we're all going to be happy. I hope we're all in a good mood on Sunday for sure. On deck is the great Alan Bernstein next right here on A's Cast Live. This is Chris Townsend for my favorite golf course in the Bay Area, Cinnabar Hills Golf Club. Tucked in the beautiful hills of San Jose, Cinnabar Hills offers the finest 27 holes of championship golf in Silicon Valley. Come see the amazing new renovated clubhouse and restaurant, plus patio dining with the most breathtaking views. Cinnabar Hills is far more than a golf course. One of the premier places in the Bay Area to host weddings and any type of events. There's no golf experience like Cinnabar Hills Golf Club. Go to CinnabarHills.com. That's CinnabarHills.com. Streaming from the East Bay, A's Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend. When I think broadcasting, I think ESPN, I think Pac-12 Network, I think Touchdown Radio Network, I think about the Oakland Athletics. It's the great Roxy Bernstein. You know him as Alan here on the program. Nobody knows me as Alan. Not even my wife knows me as Alan. Uh, Cody calls you Alan is what it is. The cops know me as Alan, I think. Uh, yeah, your driver's <laughs> license when you get pulled over. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Good to be back at the Coliseum. Beautiful day. You're about to get really, really, really busy. Yeah, I am. I got uh, football starting up next week. Um, in addition, I've got some games here this weekend for ESPN Radio. I'm doing so Saturday and Sunday night. So it's going to be Saturday baseball and then Sunday night baseball, ESPN? ESPN Radio. From the peninsula? No, from the ballpark. What? I'm going to be sitting up in booth A upstairs. You're allowed to get in here? Well, I'm going to be here, but my partner will not be, which is going to be bizarre. So former be in Atlanta and the pride of Pinole Valley High School, Chris Singleton Great, is my uh, analyst. Reno Wolfpack. Yes, football and baseball player in Nevada. Played so Singy will be home. In Atlanta, calling the games with me, and I'm here. So it'll be interesting having an iPad with the Zoom up so I can look at him and then also obviously watch the game in front of me. What has that been like? And kind of give us your, like, setup. I know we asked Glenn Kuyper this from the local level. You're doing it from a national level, which is a whole different ball game. You're doing it to a national audience. What do you have in front of you, and how do you do it? So I have it set up in my office at home at my desk, which is probably similar to the one that's sitting in front of us here. Just your standard table, just about. Um, I have my ESPN radio equipment on the right side of my desk, and I've had to bring on a separate like little card table to add some more space to the left side of my desk. And I have over here a huge monitor that ESPN sent me. It's enormous. In addition to a MacBook that they sent me, which handles all my telecommunication, I have to have a hardline internet in to, that hooks up to it 
has all these cables coming off the laptop. I've got this thing called a volcano box that has eight different channels. So if I need to talk down the line to my producer, to my audio guy, to our stats guy, to my partner, I can do it without it going over the air. I've got a camera directly in front of me, which they sent. I've got a huge TV light. Um, and then I have some of my own stuff. For example, I have my TV on the wall, and I have a cable that runs from my computer. So, I, And I'm logged into a Zoom, just like everybody else, right? We're all logged into Zooms these days for meetings. Well, I log into a Zoom to broadcast a baseball game. It's crazy. Yeah, it's unbelievable. I mean, this is a national broadcast. Yeah. I mean... It's like when we talked to you about the Field of Dreams game. You're doing it from the peninsula. You're not in Iowa, no. but you're doing the game. I mean, it's unreal what you guys – I understand, like, locally, but nationally it's a whole different ball game. Well, and, like, for example, I'm doing the A's on Saturday and Sunday, but it's a national audience. It's not the A's audience when I fill in for Ken or Vince. Yeah. Um, so it's different. Um, different stories, obviously – we're a little more down the middle than I would be, which, you know, we lean toward the green and gold clearly. But um, so you have to remember the audience is different when you're broadcasting a game there. But it's it's certainly especially Sunday night, which is going to be a huge audience because it's Sunday night baseball. And and I, the, the thing that I'm a little uneasy about just is the connection with Chris back in Atlanta because he's not going to be here. And the lag time, uh, if I'm making a point, if I'm making a – we're trying to have a banter and conversation, it's going to drag a little bit because his feet of the game is going to be a little bit slower than mine is, clearly, because I'm watching the field. You know, I think about years ago, I don't remember what year it was, when Aaron Boone was working for ESPN, and he came up, and you were with me. We were outside the – I think I was on 95.7 The Game at the time, and he came on with us as an ESPN guy. So you know Aaron Boone oh, really, yeah. really, really well. He was with me when I was with the Marlins. He was with Miami, for the Florida Marlins, and for a year. In fact, Booney used to do my pregame show once a week for me, that he would interview one of his teammates. I didn't have to do it. So it was, that was my favorite day of the week. you kidding? Like every Tuesday, it became the Aaron Boone show, and he would interview Dan Ugla or Miguel Cabrera or – Josh Willinghammer named that 2006 Florida Marlin. <laughs> or maybe, no, sorry, Booney was there in 07. He was there the 07 year. But that's, you know, what he would do that once a week for me, and it made my job a lot easier. I'm not rooting for him, but we all know he's a hell of a guy. Other than the fact that he just deeply loves his alma mater, USC, and football, I let it slide a little bit because he's such a good guy. I mean, the Pac-12, yeah. Big Ten, Big 12 – Whatever you guys are calling it the now. Alliance. The Alliance. It's, it's funny, and here's the rustling dork in me. And Cody remembers. Remember the Alliance? When, when it, was it when they bought ECW? That's correct. And there was the invasion of, like, Rob Van Dam and Tommy Dreamer and the so Sandman. How dare you forget the Dudley boys? Sorry. Well, you know, well, they were well, they, first. They, they, they came of, they, before. Yeah, but they all joined together. They, they took Stone Cold Townie into it. Townie thinks we're speaking in Mandarin right now. Wait, the, the, the original Alliance back in the day was Ric Flair <laughs> Cowboy Bob Orton. Well, those that, was, that guys. was the Four Horsemen. Yeah, right. That, that was years ago. That that's more my era. No, okay. Well, you're, now you're going to talk to us next about the World Powers with Hogan and Macho Man. No, the Alliance of Rocky's talking about. That was a big. Where's day Mr. Yeah. Perfect and R.I.P. Mr. Perfect. <laughs> well, way, yeah. way to bring the mood down. Yeah, he's dead. <laughs> but go ahead. Well, so is Macho Man. R.I.P. Back yeah. to Aaron Boone. Okay. Good guy. Awesome guy. Great guy. I mean, just 
He, it's just a funny, funny personality. He calls me Elway, by the way. You don't look or perform like John Elway in any. Have you haven't seen me throw a football, have you? Yeah, I've I, I've seen you athletically, okay. and I wouldn't right. say you're you're John Elway. Well, it's more because we walk so pigeon-toed. The two of us, we walk similar. Is where <laughs> Booney came up with it. But uh, it's funny. So I did the. I had a Yankees game a couple weeks ago for ESPN Radio. I'm trying to remember. Oh, it was the Field of Dreams game. And uh, so I, you've seen my background I have at home. Yeah. I, I put jerseys up for the teams I have that particular night. So I'm talking to our producer, uh, Rob Kelly, who was back in Bristol. And we're getting ready to hop on a Zoom with, with Aaron. And so I put a USC jersey behind me. I just wanted to see. I said, I told Rob, 30 seconds is the over-under before he notices the jersey behind me. I won't say anything. you taking the over, the under. He goes, I'm going over. He won't figure that out. I guarantee it's the under. Within the first five seconds, he's up on the Zoom. Hey, like the jersey. I dig it. <laughs> yeah, you know, the Boone family, you know, yeah. uh, his father went to my high school, Bob. Boone. And then Bob went to Stanford. Crawford High School. Yeah. So when I when you know, I think about this series, Roxy, I think Sunday's gonna tell us a lot about the future of the Oakland Ice. Would you agree? I think tonight's gonna tell you a lot, to be honest with you. I think, you know, you gotta start this thing off on the right note and try to turn the page from and hopefully the day off did everybody some good. Uh, with the frustrating losses the A's have had recently. So after the the really well played ball game of the win Friday night and the punch in the gut on Saturday, Sunday, then Monday. Um, you hope that the day off got everybody's mood in the right direction, changed the mojo, and hopefully it results in a in a win tonight. And James Caprillion, you know he's fired up, Chris, for this start considering, look, this is the team that drafted him. And he, I'm sure it's emotional for him. I know it was when he pitched great at Yankee Stadium. I got to assume the emotions, the adrenaline is going to be the same tonight to be able to go up against this team again. So when he was at UCLA, did you call any of his yeah. games? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Did you think he was going to be that good? I thought he was good. I didn't know he could be this good. I, I thought he's a, I thought he's a major league pitcher. I didn't know if he was a front end of the rotation type of pitcher, which he's shown so far with the A's. Um, but he just kept getting better and better at UCLA, and it's, a, it's a, attributed to him and his great work. But let's face it. John Savage is as good a pitching coach as there is anywhere, the head coach at UCLA, whether it's in the major leagues. His ability to develop pitchers is unparalleled at the collegiate level. You look at Garrett Cole, who we're going to see in this series. Trevor Bauer, with well, who knows what the future holds for him. But you see all these UCLA guys around, and James Caprillion's one of them. And Caprillion went through and – when I was in for you, filling in for you, and I had sat John on a pregame show before a Caprillion start, it was probably right before the All-Star break when you were in San Diego and the series in Texas. When, when James was at UCLA, that had to be the hardest time of his life when he was losing his mother who was battling cancer and then ultimately succumbed to the disease. But John, along with his dad, helped him navigate through that and his teammates at UCLA and there's a bond there between the two. And I get texts all the time from John every start. He is sitting on the edge of his chair watching James, rooting for him. You don't see that with every college coach and, and, and pitcher that they've tutored. Yeah, they're, they're watching, and they might flip the game on, but they're not living and dying. And John Savage really has a special connection with James Caprillion. 
That is really cool because you set that up for us. Yeah. Uh, where we had him on and you know talk about the you know, the funny thing was UCLA on UCLA hate when Brandon Crawford took right. it deep in San Francisco, but you could tell there was a strong bond, and it's amazing like. Certain coaches, they love all their players, but there's certain guys that, you know, I have a strong relationship with my ex-coach, uh, the Hall of Famer Sam Perraro. I mean, there's just there's certain guys that have that certain connection. That's great to hear. And because Cap seems like a really been through a lot. Mm-hmm. Now, you're talking about what he's dealt with with the mom and breast cancer. Yeah. I lost my mom to breast cancer, so it's emotional for me. But then I think about, you know, the, the – in fact, he hasn't pitched a lot. He had to go through Tommy John and then the shoulder. and just it, It's kind of uh, how do you not root for a guy like this? And on top of it, he's such a good guy. And you hear stories about stuff that, you know, he did. And just the connection that, that I've got to just see him at from when he was an amateur in his college days at UCLA. And he was really good. Um, but I didn't necessarily see this coming in terms of having – front end of the rotation type stuff. So with James Caprillion having success, considering Chris, he missed over two years. He was out trying to get come back from injuries. So and at times, you know, some organizations may have given up on a, on somebody like that, but not the A's because they saw something that when they got him healthy and right, and they, look, you gave up a lot to get him in that trade, and it's great to see him flourishing with the A's. You know, um, I, I, I'm going to try and get you to admit, and it's very tough for you, as Saturday at 7 o'clock, so we'll get done with the Yankees at, at probably around 5, 5.30. The yeah. post game will end. I will get in an Uber. I'll head to Spartan Stadium. That's I, responsible, by the way. I'm going to allow you to have one. This is your last chance to admit that the best college football team, as your Mr. College Football True or false, you have a Heisman vote. I do. So that you is true. vote you vote for the highest honor I, in college football. I do have a vote for the Heisman Trophy. And yes. you do call play by play for ESPN college football along with the Pac twelve network and the uh touchdown radio yes, network. I do. I get to see a plethora of college football. This is your last chance. The guy that you grew up with, who is the head coach of San Jose State, Coach Brennan. Yes. Is San Jose State the best college football team in the Bay Area. This is your last chance. And we're recording. I can't answer that question right now. Yet this I got to see the teams. I want to see them play before I, I I put myself out of that limb because not only, yes, Brent and I are lifelong friends, and I pull your and cheer Your childhood for him. friend is the yes. head coach. Are you taking San My Jose- good friend is the head coach of the University of California. Who? I'm Justin Wilcox. Who? Who? Yeah, who? And just because the Spartans are dodging Cal, they don't want to come up to Berkeley and yeah, play. Yeah, where's Jim Harbaugh and Stanford? Who is the number? Hey, what's your deal? What's your deal, bro? I, I respect Coach Shaw. Have him on the program. I like Never have him on this program, but have him on my talk show. Who is? There's three teams in the Bay Area. Stan- so De La Salle's not an option? No. Stanford? Neither is Bellarmine. Is the Stanford? City College of San Francisco an option? OJ's not walking through that door. All right. That's a good thing. Stanford? Cal, San Jose State, who's the best program right now? Ask me. God, you're gutless. You I haven't gutless. seen the teams play, Chris. I want to see them play. No, I want I want your prediction. We do predictions, Lee Corso. Who is your – Not so fast, my friend. Get your number two pencil out. Who do you, Who is the best? I'm going with the alma mater. 
All right, go to buying or selling. This guy's a sham. Uh, there's no point. We have like one minute left. Uh, He's Roxy, a sham. Roxy, He's a sham. He took too long. To, He's a sham. You know where you know where we're gonna be Saturday night. We're gonna. They want to be Oregon with their eight million uniforms. They're not gonna beat anybody. Cal is a sham. Okay. They're a sham. We'll be climbing the mountain on Saturday night. Yeah. We'll San Jose State has the best quarterback in the Bay Area. I'll give you that. That's They're, a fact. 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 Nick Starkle. Fact. I mean, transfer from uh, where did transfer from Arkansas? Arkansas. Hey, Aaron Rodgers is not walk. Steve Barkowski is not walking <laughs> through that door. Either is Kyle Bowler. Kyle Bowler is not walking. <laughs> well, he door. might walk through it, but he's not going to be on the field. <laughs> How about Jeff Tedford returned to Cal the other day for practice? First time he's been back. Hey, who was the Cal quarterback when we were there? The guy, I, I I drove in a car with him to San Francisco to a rave. Dave Barr. Dave Barr. <laughs> a rave. Yeah, I went to a, a rave. rave. Dave Barr had a truck. Don't I was date in yourself. Dave Barr's truck. Wow. In like 1992. How did that happen? Uh, Brett Callen, my buddy, was the oh, wide yeah. receiver. The Cal, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I used to go to Cal games. All right. You guys were, and that's when I I actually used to go to Cal games when you guys finished fourth in the country and you beat Clemson. Killed Clemson in, in the, the Citrus Bowl. Bowl. No, Citrus Florida Bowl. Citrus Bowl. Yeah, don't think I don't know my Cal football. The rifle, Mike Pulaski. Who I worked with for many years yeah. doing what? Arena football. San Jose he, Sabercats. Nobody loved the Arena Football League more than Mike Pulaski. He well, made a fortune in that league. Well, I mean, I I kind of liked it at the paycheck. I was well, okay. <laughs> but you didn't like it as, nearly as much as he did. If you don't like that, you don't like Arena football. Thank you, Grant Napier. Uh, so you're going to be on Saturday, ESPN Radio. Yes, and Sunday Night Baseball. And Sunday Night Baseball. And then next Tuesday, I'm in for Vince. Vince is uh, going to miss one one game. He's got a family obligation, so I'll be in for Vince next Tuesday. And really, the biggest thing that you do is come on AceCast live. Clearly. Clearly. I cannot wait. Who's winning the Heisman before we go? I, I'd give the, the, the leader, I think, in the clubhouse is Spencer Rattler right now, the quarterback at Oklahoma. God, it's just, early though. They that, put up such. Cr- they don't just. They, no one plays defense in the Big Twelve. Well, they're pretty, quarterback factory. I there. got news for you. Pretty soon there might not be a Big Twelve. Yeah. Well, we have an an alliance. Big Ten, ACC, Pac twelve. Let's go. If Shane McMahon shows up at one of the at one of the sa- one of the same, you know it's real. Hey, let me, the Sandman. <laughs> hey, let me tell you something. Once Oregon State and Michigan State play, now you know it's a it, it's a real conference game. We got Oregon State-Purdue right out of the chute. There you go. The fighting Illini against the University of Arizona will be a great conference game. Huh? Indiana versus who? What will be a great conference game? Versus Colorado? (laughs) Utah. All a bunch of red. (laughs) The great Roxy. What do we got next? Uh, We're going to play The Farm with Bill Moriarty with Gil Patterson. That's next right here. Thank you, Roxy. On A's Cast Live. Chris Townsend for my favorite golf course in the Bay Area, Cinnabar Hills Golf Club. Tucked in the beautiful hills of San Jose, Cinnabar Hills offers the finest 27 holes of championship golf in Silicon Valley. Come see the amazing new renovated clubhouse and restaurant, plus patio dining with the most breathtaking views. Cinnabar Hills is far more than a golf course. One of the premier places in the Bay Area to host weddings and any type of events. There's no golf experience like Cinnabar Hills Golf Club. Go to CinnabarHills.com. That's CinnabarHills.com. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.